But before I start this morning, I want to tell you a few things, just one thing actually. If we can put that PowerPoint up, we want to introduce our new series after Easter and what we'll be doing. Wait for that to get up. All right. Our new series after Easter is going to be Heroes of the Old Testament. I'm kind of doing a little bit of a curveball here for you. How many of us know when we hear like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Noah, Esther? How many of us, when we hear that, we think, whoa, those people are way up here. I mean, they are way high caliber people, and they are. God used them, but the thing that's important is those people have no difference about them than you do. Did you, do you know that? Do you know the people of the Bible were just like you? They were ordinary people, and they had mistakes in their lives. Okay, Abraham was a liar. He lied a lot, okay? Um, Moses had a speech impediment. Did you know that? He couldn't speak well. And we're going to talk about the weaknesses they had, but we're also going to talk about the strengths they had and what made them the mighty people they are. And I think God wants to make you mighty and you a hero of the faith in our age. Amen? All right, well, go ahead and turn your Bibles to John 19 this morning. I am so excited about this message as we kind of end the words of the cross. It's been amazing to just hear what Christ has been telling us through the words of the cross. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray real quick. Father God, we love you. Lord, I pray that you would take my lips of clay, Lord, and help me to do some kind of justice to your final words on the cross. God, we pray if there's someone here that doesn't know you, Lord, that you would just start tugging on their hearts, God. God, we pray, Lord, if there's someone here, Lord, that just needs to worship you, Lord, we're going to have time for that after this message, God, that you would help them know that you love them and you inhabit the praises of your people. God, it was surely finished when you said it, Lord. And thank you for what we have in you today. And everybody said... Amen. Before I start this morning, I want to tell you about a little book that all of us have been using for this series. If you want to read a little bit more about the cross, and it's from the cross to eternity. It's just a small book you can get at your Christian bookstore. If you want to know a little bit more details, we can't put all the details here in a you know, 20 to 30 or me, 45 minute sermon. But um, yeah, I heard that laugh. Somebody laughed out there. I'm hoping today is not going to be like that, but Um, But if you want to get that book, we can order it for you, whatever we need to do. I know it's not costly at all, but it'll really let you know a little bit more about the details. Amen? In the past weeks, we've covered the words from the cross and how Christ, his words apply to us even today. I don't know if you knew it, but this book wasn't just a one-time deal. When you open the pages of this book, it teaches you even today about your circumstance. Some people would tell me, Pastor Dave, this is not in the Bible. And I said, whoa, 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 let's turn to that passage and see that it is. And the Bible is still relevant today. Let me go through some of the things we've talked about. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. This was Jesus talking about the mockers, the one that crucified him. It tells us that, you know what? God accepts us with his forgiveness and we should forgive others with that. If you're forgiven, you should forgive others. Truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Out of that, we know that God meant today. If you're here today and you're struggling with your faith, it's today. You don't have to earn your faith to to get to Christ. He paid it all on the cross. It isn't tomorrow, the next day, maybe two weeks down the road when you feel like you're a little bit better person. No, today you can be with him in paradise. 
The next one is, woman, behold your son. When he was talking to his mother Mary and John. And this tells us we need to focus on others and their needs, even when we're in pain. Even when we feel hopeless, there's someone else out there that needs our love. How many of you have ever had a bad week and that's the week that God says, you need to talk to that person? He stretches us in that. The next one is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When Jesus was on the cross and his father had to look away because he can't look on sin. It was the first time in his life that he had ever, that he had ever not had his father there. And he said, why have you forsaken me? We learned that we need to follow Christ's example and remaining in our faith, even in the midst of trials. I don't know about you, but when it says, blessed be your name, and it says, when there's pain in the offering, I've had that in my life. I've had it where I can't feel God. I've had it where, you know, God, why is this happening to me? But even in the midst, we need to know that he's there. Just like the footprints in the sand. Well, when you only saw one footprint, that was me holding you. We need to know that Christ is always there. And then last week, we talked about, I am thirsty. I thirst. And I love this quote. And it's out of the book that I just told you. God is not looking for people who are strong or great in themselves. He's looking for those who have courage to live honestly and openly while leaning on him. Amen? Christ was honest. He said, you know what? I'm thirsty. I'm human. And so many times as Christians, we try to be superhuman. We can't show weaknesses. But Christ said, I had weaknesses and you need to share that too. Well, now we find ourselves at the end of the cross. And you guys can put up that PowerPoint if you don't mind. We find ourselves at the end of the cross. It's around 3 p.m. It's minutes before Christ gives up the spirit and he dies on the cross. Maybe 15 to 20 minutes before they pierce his side to see if he's dead. Christ has been on the cross for around six hours now, suffocating and in pain. People have come and gone. They've looked at the spectacle. Even some have stayed to watch. Maybe this is the highlight of their festival. It's been dark for around three hours since noon. And Christ asked for a drink. The first time he ever asked for anything on the cross, he asked them. And then someone is so compelled that they go and they put um, wine vinegar on a sponge on a hyssop branch and give it to him. There's still mocking going on. As Christ drinks the wine vinegar offered to him, he relaxes for a moment and he takes a deep breath. With now the moisture in his mouth, he's been waiting to say what he wants to say for six hours. He strains himself up on the cross just for one more painful breath. He lets himself down and he begins to speak the last two words from the cross. Church, let's lean in and hear what the, the Savior has to say. The first thing he said is, it is finished. It is finished. Let's read it. It's John 19. Turn there with me. Starting with verse 28. Verse 28. It's on the board if you don't have your word with you. Later, knowing that everything had been finished and so the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of a hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, how many of us have read that before? I don't know about you, but I make a mistake when I read the Bible. Sometimes I just kind of skim over things I've read before. 
How many of you in this Easter season have read that verse? And usually we just read it just like that, monotone. We just, oh, okay, I've read this before. If you've been a Christian for a long time, I know that, you know, what else can I read? And we tend to read it without the emotions that was in it. See, Jesus was crying out in a loud voice. The Bible says in Matthew 15, and we won't turn there, that with a loud voice, Jesus said this. So I'm going to read it again and give you the emotions that were behind it. Later, knowing that everything had been finished and so the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, and so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received a drink, he said, It is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus said, it is finished. It was a declaration to everything that he had done. In three and a half years, he had been waiting to say those three words. It is finished. My job is done here. God will have to complete the rest. The word Christ used here, or these few words, is only one word in the Greek language. It's teltelesti. And it means to complete. This is not a word that you use when you start riding a bike. This isn't a word that when you get that first paycheck. But if you've ever read the story, maybe you've uh, climbed Mount Everest. And when you get to the top and you look down, that's what this word means. I've done it. Maybe you, um, in your first marathon, I know, Pastor Gary, your daughter does that. When she got that first marathon done, she's like, I did it. It was like the Braveheart movie. It was like the Braveheart cry. It is finished. He may have been choking on his own blood. He may have been weak enough, but he took one more sip of something to drink to tell you that it's finished. Church, I don't know about you, but that means something to me. It was a cry of victory. It was saying, you know what? I've taken all your sins. I've taken everything that you have and I put it on myself. And you know what? I did it. I did it. It is finished. Now, hindsight is 2020. We always see the things we miss after a situation. And most of us here are Christians and we can say that means a lot to me. It is finished. But you know what the sad thing is? Is most of the people standing there that day had no idea what he was talking about. Imagine what the people thought in the crowd that day. The people that were mocking him. The religious leaders, the soldiers, the crowd. Maybe it was something like this. He does know he's about to die, right? He must be hallucinating. He must have lost too much blood and he's too dehydrated. This guy, Jesus, he must be crazy. He's going crazy. They didn't realize that the Messiah that they had been preparing for. The Passover was there. That's why they had to get Jesus off the cross. They didn't realize that the Messiah that they'd been preparing for for years was hanging right in front of them. Is that not like today? How many of the people that you see on a weekly basis, on a daily basis in your job, and they don't realize that the Messiah's already came? If you go to Jerusalem today, they are still crying at the Wailing Wall. They are still works, works, works. They still are waiting on a Messiah. Church, I came to declare that it's done. Amen? Amen. 
It's done. They still don't know that there's someone that will accept them exactly like they are. There's still Jews that will wear the, the law on their forehead, on their arms. They're still wailing, God, please deliver us. But we know that it's finished. They didn't realize that the old covenant was over and the new covenant had just begun. They didn't realize that the Messiah was hanging there. Maybe it was okay that they didn't. Because I don't know about you, but if I found out that I just crucified my Messiah, the one I'd been looking for, there would have been weeping. But you'll find out in the next verse that the soldier standing there said, surely this is the Son of God. Surely this is the Son of God. Now, Pastor Dave, what do you mean about Old and New Testament, or Old and New Covenant? What do you mean they didn't know? Well, if you'll turn to Mark 15 this morning, we're going to read a verse about that. Why are they still waiting for the Messiah? Why did they miss it? And did Jesus just say it was finished or did he give them another clue that he was the Messiah? Mark 15 says this, verse 37. I'll wait for the pages to quit turning. If we could get that on the PowerPoint too, that'd be great for people that don't have it. Mark 15 37 through 38, I think it's on down, Oscar. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. Now, my question is today, church, why is a curtain so important? How many of you have curtains in your house? Yes, you do. If I let Christy, she would buy everything. I am so cheap that we don't even have curtains in our house. We just had the blinds that was there. Amen, huh? Just something else to take care of. But why was the curtain so important? Why would, why would the writer in Mark put that after he died, the curtain was torn from top to bottom? Why would he include that? Because God was trying to say something. See, first of all, you need to know where did that curtain come from? Did you know that the curtain that he was talking about had been there for years and years and years. Turn to Exodus 26 this morning. Exodus 26, starting in 31, it says this, and this is God talking to Moses. Make a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and finely twisted linen. With cherim woven into it by a skilled worker. Hang it with gold hooks on the four posts of the wood overlaid with gold and standing on four silver bases. Hang the curtain from the clasp and place the Ark of the Covenant, the covenant law behind the curtain. Now listen to this. This is the curtain we're talking about. The curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. Now somebody tell me, what is Moses giving them instructions for? The what? The temple, the tabernacle, okay? And what was this curtain supposed to do? This curtain was separating the holy place where the priests normally did their job and the most holy place. And what was in the most holy place? Somebody tell me. God's presence, the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, I'm reading in 2 Samuel right now that the Ark of the Covenant went to Israel. It came back from the Philistines because... Um, diseases and everything else was wreaking on their lives. It came back to Israel, okay? 
And it said, now listen to this, the Ark of the Covenant was so powerful, it said that 150 men died when it came to Israel because they looked inside the Ark. See, in the Old Testament, God's presence wasn't something that you could just pray to and praise and worship like we do today. In the Old Testament, God's presence was so powerful that if you move this curtain just an inch to look in, you would drop dead immediately because he's holy and we're not. See, the curtain that we're talking about is from the tabernacle. And let me tell you how holy and how important this curtain was. The high priest would go in once a year into the most holy place where the ark was, and he would offer incense and pray for the people's sin. And God would roll back their sins the whole year to another year. Okay, it wasn't abolished, but God would roll back the sins of 2013 to 2014. Only once a year could the high priest, the holiest priest, could go in to the holies of holies. And here's the interesting thing. They would actually tie bells on this man. They would tie bells around him everywhere, and they would tie a very thick rope around his waist. And when he went in, it was kind of like they were lowering down a mountain, fellas, when you're climbing mountains. They would actually hold that rope, the priest would, and they'd let it go a little bit, let the slack go. And they would listen for the bells. And if they listened for the bell, they knew that the priest was still alive. He he didn't have any sin in his life. And he was doing the incense. He was praying for the people. But what do you think happened when they didn't hear any bells for a little bit? They'd start yanking on the rope. Okay. And then if they heard some bells, okay, he was just sitting for a moment or he was just standing. But if they didn't hear any bells and they yanked the rope and he didn't move, they would literally have to drag out a dead priest because he wasn't holy enough to be in God's presence. Whoa. Aren't you glad we live in the new covenant? Do you know that even besides that, a funny fact, and they probably didn't think it was funny back then, the high priest that was going into the most holy place would not sleep the night before because he was afraid if he dreamed a sin, he would die the next day. Now there is a sermon about how that we may need to get back to that a little bit in the holiness of God. Amen? We talk about the grace of God, but what about the holiness of God? That may, be a, that may be a good sermon, but I won't preach it now. I only got a few minutes. Okay. The thing is, when Christ died, that curtain, that purple and scarlet and gold curtain that separated the most holy place from the holy place, It was torn from top to bottom. It was torn in half and it fell on the floor. Okay? Because Christ had been the ultimate sacrifice and God himself from heaven tore the curtain. Did you get that? It was torn from top to bottom. Why do you think that's interesting? Because any old priest could have cut with a knife the bottom of it and tore it. But no, it was torn from top to bottom. And this was a high curtain. Okay, you couldn't just jump and cut it. Actually, God himself tore the curtain. Okay, and I don't think you understand what I'm saying. Now, we have immediate access to God's throne. Because when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. When he looks at you, Jose, he sees the blood of Christ. When he looks at you, Mary, he sees what his son did. See, in the Old Testament, on the Old Covenant, if you went into God's presence and you had any sin at all, he would kill you. 
He would kill priests the same as he would kill slaves. But now that Christ has started the new covenant, we can walk into his presence and talk to him. How many of us spoke to him this morning? How many of us know that he'll never leave us nor forsake us? See, the Jews are still waiting for a Messiah and Christ said, no, 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 it's finished. The curtain's been torn. You can come and talk to me. You can come and talk to me. But there's one more word that Christ said. And Nick, if you can come on up. I don't want to go too long because I want to give you time to worship after we're done. It is finished. And then the second word Christ said is, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. I commit my spirit. It's found in Luke 23. And for the sake of time, you can just look at it on the screen. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun had stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Say amen. amen. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. When all the people had gathered to witness this, saw this, oh, excuse me, when all the people who had gathered to witness this saw Sight saw what took place, they beat their chest and went away. This phrase is only found in the book of Luke. It's only found, it's no, no other gospels. And some would say, you know what? It's not as important. This was just kind of like a thing that Christ had between his father. It had nothing to do with us. But I beg to differ. I think that this is a promise for everyone in here that knows Jesus. As Jesus looked up to heaven, he had finished. Jim, his job was finally done. He looked up to heaven. And with all the hurting that he had, he said, Father. See, the father and the son's relationship had been restored. See, for the last three hours, God had to look away from his son. Do you notice that in the first, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. His, him and his father were connected. Do you know that when he said, then later on in the cross, he said, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why didn't he use the word father there? They were disconnected. Christ or, G, or the father can't be with sin. And then he said, Father, into my hands, I commit your spirit. I believe that when Jesus looked up, he said, oh, you're there. You've returned. You haven't left me. See, the father and the son were restored. I don't know about you, but I'm someone that I don't have a good father figure in my life. It took me years to really know what he meant by father. Because my father and I, and we could talk about it later, but it just wasn't a good relationship. When I was in high school, my dad and I didn't even say I love you to each other. It was just too awkward. But Jesus said, Father, church, I want you to know that the Father wants to be your Father too. He wants to be your Father. He said, Father, and then he said, into your hands. In the last few hours, Jesus had a lot of hands on him. He had been falsely accused. He had been beaten, mocked, whipped, spit upon and crucified. But Jesus knew that there was some comfort 
in daddy's hands. He knew I got to get back to daddy. There's an old country song and probably maybe I'm too old. Maybe some of the youth won't know it, but it's Holly Dunn and Dolly Parton sung a song in daddy's hands. And the chorus goes like this. Daddy's hands were soft and kind when I was crying. Daddy's hands were hard as steel when I did something wrong. Daddy's hands were always gentle. And I've come to understand that there's always love in daddy's hands. When we accept Christ, we can come to him and say, Abba, Father. And what Abba means is daddy. Daddy. See, Jesus had been on the cross And for three hours of his life, the first time in his life, he was disconnected from this person he knew as father. And he looked up and said, Daddy, into your hands. I know you'll make me better. Then he said, I commit my spirit. Commit means that you deposit something that's very valuable. Jesus was completely trusting in God, the father, to finish the race. When he gave up his spirit, his job was, until he, um, until he went down to hell and keys to death, hell, in the grave, his job, there's nothing he could do. Jesus didn't resurrect himself. God did that. He said, God, I've done everything. Daddy, I've done everything. You're going to have to do the rest. You're going to have to do the rest. See, Jesus knew that he needed to depend on his dad. See, church, today it is finished. And today, our Christ, our Lord, looked up to his dad and said, Dad, you're back. With every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today, and maybe you don't know Jesus. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Dave, maybe I knew him. But you know what? I've been walking very far away from him. I want you to know that today is the day of salvation. I want you to know that it is finished. Your payment has been made. So here's what I want to do. And I want to do this a little bit differently this morning. If you're here this morning with every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor Dave, I've accepted Christ. He is my daddy. He is my father. I am a Christian today. Without a shadow of doubt, if I died, I know that I would go to heaven. If that's you, would you just raise your hand this morning? If you've made that commitment already, just raise your hand. Okay. Hallelujah. Now, I've made it very simple for you. If you're here today and you say, you know what? I couldn't raise my hand. With every head bowed, every eye closed. Pastor Dave, I couldn't raise my hand because I'm not sure. Would you just raise your hand right now just between you, me, and God? Is there anyone here and you say, Pastor Dave... I need to make things right. I need to ask Jesus to come into my heart. If you're here today, would you just raise your hand? I'm only going to stay on this a few seconds. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, here's what I want to do, church. Everybody stand and get your palm branches out. And some of you are praising God because Pastor Dave didn't go into a 15 after. But I did that for a purpose. The first time that they had palm branches... And they were waving at him. I don't know if you realize it, but the same people that were praising him because they thought that he was the new king and he was going to take over the Roman government. The same people that laid down the palm branches, 
are the same people that mocked, falsely accused him and crucified him. Did you know that? Well, today, by your profession, everyone in here has asked Jesus into their heart. And you know what? I think he deserves a real glorious entry. Amen? So what we're going to do today is we're going to sing a couple more songs. If you have to go, I totally understand that. But let's wave our palm branches to the true King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen? All right. Nick, go ahead and lead us. When I think about the Lord, how He saved me, how He raised me, how He filled me with the Holy Ghost, how He healed me to the uttermost. When I think about the Lord, how He picked me up and turned me around, how He placed my feet, yes, Lord, on solid ground. It makes me want to shout, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, Lord, you're worthy, all of the glory, all of the honor, all of the praise. It makes me want to shout, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, Lord, you're worthy, all of the glory, all of the honor, all of the praise. When I think about the Lord, how He saved me, how He raised me, how He filled me with the Holy Ghost, how He healed me to the uttermost. When I think about the Lord, how He picked me up and turned me around, how He placed my feet on solid ground. Yes, Lord. It makes me want to shout, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, Lord, you're worthy, all of the glory, all of the honor, all of the praise, it makes me want to shout, hallelujah, thank you, Lord, you're worthy, all of the glory, all of the honor, all of the praise, when I think. When I think about the Lord, how He saved me, how He raised me, how He filled me with the Holy Ghost, how He healed me to the uttermost. When I think about the Lord, how He picked me up and turned me around, how He placed my feet on solid ground. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. So here I am to worship.
Father God, we thank you, Lord. God, as we lift our branches up high, Lord, we say that you are our God. God, we commit that we will not betray you, Lord, but that we will see you as God Almighty, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. Lord, we praise you, Lord. God, we also thank you, Lord, that it didn't end at the cross. But in three days, Lord, you rose victorious. And we worship you, God. We worship you, God. Church, can we give God a hand clap of praise this morning? Amen, 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 amen. Amen. God is good this morning. We're going to sing that song again. If you feel like, you know what, I just need a touch of God this morning. The altars are open. You can stay in your seats. If you need to leave, we do understand. Um, But let's just worship God. And let's not forget that next Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection. We celebrate that, you know what, no grave could hold him down. Amen. Let's give God a hand clap. Amen. You were formally dismissed. If you want to stay, we're going to sing. But thank you so much. Here I am to bow down, here I am.